Hey, Lisa. Hey, Julie. How's your week going? It's going well. Just readjusting, getting back into the swing of things after being away at the beach. And then we had uh, we got back on Friday. And then Saturday night, we had one of our goal races for our speed and strength program, the Suds and Souls, the Montgomery County Roadrunners Club Suds and Souls 5K. Yeah, and you crushed it. You won first Masters. Second, Second Masters. Masters. Yep, just right after our friend Cindy Conan. Oh, so, well, she's yes. a great person to be behind. Yes, I was trying to keep her in my sights. It was a good race. I always feel good at that race because we come back from the beach, and I always feel like I get good sleep at the beach. I, like, rest. So I always feel, even though it's an evening race and an evening race is a little bit, um, challenging. So, uh, like I never feel, um, by the time the evening rolls around, I always feel like you're kind of sluggish. Like you don't know how it's hard to eat during the day. And we provided all of our runners with some guidance that was given to us by the registered dietitians that we work with for, for eating. But I always, it's always a little bit tricky, but it was, we got, we lucked out. We had a beautiful night and you, ran it as well. Yeah, I did. I was kind of a last minute decision. I wasn't sure how it would go um, because I have started running uh, slowly but surely and I wanted to put myself in a position where I would be able to run it without feeling um, insecure about it, meaning stability wise, not emotionally, but stability. (laughs) And um, Noah decided he wanted, my son decided he wanted to do it just as a fun run that night instead of doing his regular run that day. So um, we went together and he and I were going to just run it together. But I forgot that race is a thousand people. It's a lot of people. And it's crowded. This is just an observation. I seated myself in the back and there was a lot of jerking, stopping and starting Jostling initially. Around, yes. Yeah. And that's not usually how it is toward the front. So First of all, it was very good for me to participate in that exercise and recognize that when we give race plans to our runners for these shorter but very big races, we may need to think about adjusting the start. If they're starting, yeah. Because there's a lot of jerking too. And we usually – we tell our runners too not to – zigzag or not to weave around because that's just wasting energy. But, um, but especially I would imagine with you, but trying to be careful and cautious and not fall or trip or not lose your footing, that probably was a little bit, um, I just wasn't prepared for it. And so Noah was annoyed with me because he's like, what are you doing? Cause I kept sort of like, get out of my way. And I said, do you want me to run ahead? He's like, yes. So I ran, um, and felt good. I think my first mile was about a nine and that felt um, really comfortable, a little slow for me. So I picked it up just a little bit. And um, I ended up coincidentally out of a thousand people behind our physical therapist, Rachel Miller, which is hysterical because she came up to me at the beginning of the race jokingly and said, if, if you are anywhere near me, I will kill you. Meaning you shouldn't be running fast. And you were. <laughs> and I ended up right behind her, but she was taking it a little easy. And so I just decided to mess with her. And I said, well, it looks like you're going too slow. So she speeds up and she ended up having a really great race. And I finished um, behind her, but I could see her in my sights. And um, I saw you. I was cheering for Rachel. Yes. And I was a big cheer. And then I was like, wait, and there's Julie. Yeah, it was great. I think I sustained for the rest of the race somewhere around 8 to 8.30. And I think I ended up finishing. I didn't even look at my time, but I think I was under 26 minutes. So that's 
um, pretty darn close to um, my LSD pace on a non-humid day. So I'll take it. I felt really good, no soreness, nothing. And um, everything good the next day. Everything good the next day. I, I didn't run the next day. And you've been doing every other day, right? To be careful. Oh yeah. Every other day and um, intermittently cycling on the days I don't run. And um, today I ran my longest run yet. I did it by time ran for, um, I think it was like 56 minutes today and I ended up running six miles. Awesome. I felt and it's hot great. this week. So I, how have you been feeling like with the heat? Because that's challenging enough as it is. Never mind kind of yeah. rebuilding your fitness too. I think I'm not really giving myself permission to complain about the heat because I'm so just relieved to be out there running pain free. Now I will say this, it doesn't, I still don't feel like myself and I won't for quite some time, but I'm happy to run. I'm happy to be out there. And I know I'm not hurting myself. And um, I paid a visit to Rachel today just to have her take a look at me. She's awesome. And, um, I, you know, I've been also going to rehab to perform. They're awesome. But Rachel, like, she just knows my body really well. And she also does a lot of, um, like, looking at some some muscular functioning that others don't always. So she took a look at me. And um, she noticed that I'm still pretty tight. Um, in my gluteus medius and in my um, just a, a, near my IT band, kind of on the side. So I'm going to get a massage. That's what she recommended to me. So just one more thing that right, I need to thing. do. Ugh. I have to get a massage. I, I'm sorry, it's part I, of my treatment. I don't enjoy them. I, I enjoy like oh, I relaxing do. massages, but sports massages yeah. just hurt. They're just uncomfortable. Well, but it's good for you. So that's great. And right. It's good to have these resources because I think without that, you might not notice that yourself, and you might think that you know, everything's fine. And just to know that about yourself and to have somebody be able to tell you that there's still stuff going on and, and to know what to do about it, yes. I think is really important to, to recovering and recovering right. Yeah. She's wonderful. Awesome. So I just popped in today and she took a look at me and it was, it was really productive. So good. she said, I'm in good shape. And she's like, you know, don't go out and run a marathon, but that's not my plan anyway, right now, obviously. So all is well. And then, um, uh, yesterday, I just want to tell you a funny story. So yesterday, we got a call pretty on the fly from Fox 5 to have us come in and do a segment on runner safety, which we are always so happy to do because nothing is more important to talk about than runner safety. I mean, we talk about other things like running in the heat, running in the cold, but safety is top You're not safe, then yeah. you're not running. So um, happy to do it. And I think what precipitated the call was um, – the there was an attack on the WNOD last week, a, a runner, um, and they still haven't found the person. But interestingly, the cameraman who was filming the segment was in Reston the other day and spotted someone who looked like the sketch. So he actually called the police, non emergency line, reported it, and he thinks they might have gotten him. Wow. I don't have a full update. Yeah, if they find somebody that wow, yeah, he That's was an there. Observant cameraman totally and he probably saw the sketch a bunch because he works for fox news right so anyway i um had the opportunity to meet nick smith who is one of the fox five anchors in the evening but he's kind of all over the place he's a vet a uh, really cool guy um super sad you couldn't be there but you were doing something he asked he's like well where's lisa i said she's sick she's teaching cycling right now at metamune he's like oh well she's busy kicking ass okay he was sorry, adorable I know. i'm sad i couldn't make it down there but i was, he said it was kind of last minute so totally last minute and um uh was i gonna say uh nick actually knows jen blackburn 
Yes, and right. he works out with her at Equinox. So really nice guy. But he wanted me to run in the segment. And I was Can I just say that I, I watched the segment and to watch you two run next to each other could not be <laughs> more different. He is like a really um, built, like a built, big, tall. I mean, I don't know how tall he was. He probably was like six five or something. <laughs> and you are petite and short. And to watch the two of you running next to each other was like, was like he is either like giant or she's teeny, teeny, tiny, which are probably both true. But it was really actually funny. Was really but he looked like he had good form and – he did have good form. He showed up. He works out a lot. He showed up in a complete cotton outfit on oh. on this hot day. Let's talk and about cotton is rotten. Yes, he loved that. Most of our listeners are listening <laughs> probably know. And if you don't and you, yeah. and you try to run in this weather in cotton, you will quickly find out why. For so. sure. So, yes. um, yeah, so it was fun to meet him and um, Joe, the cameraman, and uh, shout out to Fox 5 and thanks for having us on. And to Kathy and Mark Silverstein, who are our friends who have contacts over there and are just really great in getting our name out there. Um, so if anyone – I'll do a plug for them. If anyone needs a PR firm They're on great. the Mark Media, um, we actually – um, don't use them formally, but they're our neighbors and they have some products and represent companies. They that, help us with our headshots. Yeah, they so help us with our headshots. Our, our website. So they're great. Anyway, I'm excited tonight. We're going to be talking to uh, one of our fellow Montgomery County Roadrunners Club runners who I've known for a few years and I think you've known as well. Like, you know, I see him at races, but I, I got to talk to him more at Boston this year and in, in Athletes Village and uh, got to learn his story. And it is, you know, we've been talking to a lot of people in our podcast who have used running to overcome really significant challenges. And his is such an amazing story. We're going to get into it, but um, really quickly as an overview, uh, not an athletic guy, never in his life ran a heart attack, woke him up to needing to get healthy and his story about how he took up running and what he's done as a result, not only started running, but how, what he's achieved and how it has entirely changed his life was so amazing to me. I just uh, remember sitting in Athletes Village and being like, wow, this is an amazing story. We need to interview you for our, <laughs> our podcast. Because we talked about, you know, maybe mm-hmm. talking to some of these runners who we just uh, are so inspired by. So um, really excited to talk to Rod tonight on the podcast. Oh, he's going to be great. I'm really excited too. And coincidentally, um, I listened to today during my run to an Alley on the Run episode, the most recent one, and she interviewed the editor-in-chief of Runner's World, Dave, former editor-in-chief of Runner's World, Dave Willie. And um, wow, he had some really great nuggets about overcoming obstacles. And he basically said part of life are obstacles. They're supposed to be there. Your, Your hardships are supposed to happen. And if anyone has a chance, I'm going to plug this episode. It's her most recent episode. He was wonderful. He talked a lot about running with dogs. And he talked about how he's struggling with Lyme disease right now, what he's doing to overcome that. And also a PSA that I'm going to repeat here as well. Uh, He said he got Lyme disease from just running on a trail in a nature nature preserve where the brush, the, the tick, the Ticks are so small now. They're hard to see. So let's all remind each other to check ourselves and to cover our heads because it's hard to find a tick in hair and check your body in the shower and a couple times. And if you have times. any symptoms, if you're feeling fatigue and have that, have mm-hmm. that checked. So good, good pointer. Yeah, it was great. All right. So we're going to sign off for now and bring on Rod very shortly. Bye, Lisa. Bye, Julie.
Rod Vieira is a runner from Chevy Chase, Maryland, and a fellow member of the Montgomery County Road Runners Club. At age 50, Rod ran his first Boston Marathon this past April. While Rod has an impressive race resume, including over 30 half marathons and seven full marathons, he was not always a runner. In fact, just 10 years ago, Rod was sedentary and overweight. After a sudden and unexpected heart attack at just 41 years old or young, Rod took up running with a passion, starting with a small 5K hosted by the fitness center in his office building. Rod and his wife, Trish, live in Maryland now, but he is originally from Fall River, Massachusetts, just one hour south of Boston. He has two daughters and is an attorney for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, where he likes to say his clients are endangered species and marine mammals. Rod, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. We are so happy to have you. And I was just uh, saying before we started that, you know, we had met before we had seen each other at races. I know Hope for Henry, I think, was probably like the first it race was. we we saw each other at. And I, I knew of you, but we um, hadn't really had a conversation. I didn't get to really know you until we were in Boston and we were sitting in Athletes Village and you were telling me your story. And I was just, you know, so many of us are at Boston and we run for a long, you know, we, Julie and I didn't run as kids or in college. So we don't have that history, but a lot of people are just kind of natural runners. It was something they always loved to do. They were always sort of into sports or athletics or running, um, or, you know, it, it came pretty easily to them, but you came to running a little bit of a different way. And, um, maybe you want to start out with kind of telling us sort of what you, you were like before 2007 and, and what happened <laughs> yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so actually, so before 2009 is when my life changed, but, um, I was, um, totally unhealthy and unfit. I didn't, not only didn't I run, I didn't like to exercise at all. I hated exercise. The thoughts of going to the gym just were just ugh, repulsive to me. Um, you know, I was thinking just the other day about how before we had kids, my wife and I would go on vacation and my wife was always into fitness and she'd say, like, oh, I saw this great fitness class at the gym. And of course, we had no responsibility for kids or anything else. She'd be like, let's go and then we'll go to the spa. And I'd be like, nah, I'm going to go to the beach. You just come find me, you know, and I just fitness and healthy eating were not my um, forte. I was overweight as a child. Um, I think growing up in the 70s and 80s, we referred to it as husky. Um, <laughs> husky boys, sex years. I, I, was, I, had, I was in the Sears. <laughs> That's exactly where we shopped for me was the Sears husky section. Um, and I stayed that way for pretty much all of my life. I mean, I had some periods, you know, where I lost some weight, like late in high school when I got interested in girls. I met, you know, I tried, tried to, you know, I hit the gym a little bit and did some weightlifting and, you know, I dropped some weight. And, you know, throughout life, I, you know, I realized like I needed to be fit and I'd go to, you know, I'd spend, I'd do the yo-yo fitness thing where I'd like, I'd work out for a couple months. I'd be like, oh, this is great. I'm really fit. I'm looking good. I've lost some, you know, 10 pounds. And then like, I'd get busy. I'd find some excuse and I didn't like doing it. There was no motivation to keep doing it. And I just wouldn't. And then I bloomed back up again until 2009. I was probably at my worst in my worst shape when I was about four. I was about 195 pounds and I'm 140, 55 now. And how tall are you? Five, nine and a half. Okay. And you just showed us a picture of you and we've yeah. only known you, you know, for the past few years. So yeah. uh, you just showed us a picture, an older picture of you, which looks yeah. very starkly different from what you look like. Yeah. Now. We'll share it. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. You. Happy to share. And I, and I also would say I'm small boned. I mean, as you can see, I'm not a big guy. I'm not a yeah. heavy guy. I'm not very muscular. Um, I'm pretty thin naturally. And so that extra weight on me was more than it might be. I'm just, you know, a bigger build person. 
So what happened in 2009? So um, in 2009, um, I had, so at the time I had two young daughters. I had a two and a half year old and a nine month old. Um, and, you know, we were leading a very busy life, busier than normal now, you know, since my first daughter was born in 2007, did a lot of pizza takeout, a lot of Chinese food takeout, a lot of fast food, you know, worse health than ever, um, and absolutely no exercise. Um, and, and what do you do for a living? That also and, oh, yeah. And uh, yes. And also I'm a government lawyer. Uh-huh. Um, and so I have a desk job. So I sit at my desk mm-hmm. all day long. I'm so busy. That's... So, you know, understandably, yeah. you've got kids, you've right, got to work, exactly. you come home, got to get something quick. Right. right. Yeah. Not much time. Um, so in, on Saturday, November the 7th, 2009, um, and I hope I won't be the second person to cry on the show. You're, you, you being, the, you being the first, but this is a very emotional issue for me. Um, I took my daughter out for lunch to my usual spot to have pizza, greasy pizza and chicken wings dipped in blue cheese sauce. Um, came home in the mid afternoon at like two o'clock in the afternoon. And my wife and I were, we were going to go out that night and I think we had a babysitter coming, her mother, I believe. And, um, she said, you know, I'm going to put the kids down for a nap and take a shower and stuff. And I said, well, I'm going to go clean up some leaves in the yard because it was fall. It was November. And I said, I'm going to, you know, go outside for an hour and at least get some leaves cleaned up because I haven't done that. Um, and no sooner did I get out in the yard and start raking leaves, than I got really short of breath. And I was just not feeling right. Like I just had this sort of, it was almost like an out of body sensation. Like, like I wasn't like, I was kind of like looking at myself from afar. Like what is wrong with me? Why am I, what, something's not right about me. I don't know what's going on here. And I, was that feeling of doom they talk about? <laughs> a, li- I mean, a little bit, but it was almost like, like I was moving in slow motion. Like, like my body wasn't responding like it should be. Yeah. And I couldn't quite pinpoint it, but then you know, I would say probably within like five minutes of that happen of that starting, can I started to get like, let's back, can you describe the feeling a little bit more just because yeah. I feel like that's valuable to our listeners yeah. just to hear what you felt like at that moment. It it was sort of um like I was moving, you know, they say sometimes like you feel like you're you're running on a hamster wheel. That's yeah. how I felt like I felt like I was trying to make progress cleaning up the leaves, but I wasn't moving very quickly or I felt like like something was holding me back. Like I had lead in my body. Okay. That's how I would describe it. Okay. Like it was, and it was, it was, nothing was so you'd much felt effort. Before. Yeah, it was so much effort to just like move and like walk a few steps. Um, but then I started getting chest pain. And I, I mean, you know, the, of course, the first thing that went into my head, because I'm not, you know, I'm not stupid. I knew I was overweight and unhealthy. Um, was I thought like, oh, I wonder, you know, maybe I'm having a heart attack. And then I was like, no, you know, I'm 41. I can't be having a heart attack. Um, but then, you know, I thought like, oh, I'm just having indigestion. I just had this greasy lunch and, you know, these chicken wings and this pizza. Um, but then the chest pain started to get a little worse. And what really tipped me off, which is lucky for me and it's lucky for men in general, is that we get some of these classic heart attack symptoms, which include tingling in the hands. And I knew that. Um, I knew that tingling in the hands was a heart attack symptom. So I started getting tingling at first in my right hand, running down my right arm. And I was like, whoa, oh my gosh, you know, I think I'm having a heart attack. And then within, it just all really happened really quickly. And, you know, maybe a minute later, as I'm sitting there thinking about it and, you know, the craziest thoughts run through your head. One of the things that ran through my head at the time was like, I'm going to have to get an ambulance and the neighbors are going to see an ambulance come to the house. And like, I'm going to be embarrassed. And it's just it's stupid. It's totally stupid. But you start thinking, you know, I'm like, we were going to go out and like, oh, this is ruining our night. Yeah. You know, anyway, so 
Um, the, it's remarkable you remember all of that. Like I, you really can remember really every, every in, bit. I, of, I mean, I, I'm very as, I, as I've said in, in a previous discussion with you. I'm glad I didn't lose consciousness because had I gone into cardiac arrest, um, my wife would have found me gone in the backyard. She wouldn't have found me in enough time for me to be saved. So it's luck, luck very lucky for me. I'm very fortunate. Like that nobody was around. It's very, it wasn't, yeah, no, it was right. just me in the backyard by myself. I'm very, very, I caught myself. It's very, very fortunate that I, I kept, I maintained consciousness. So the chest pain got far worse. I started getting tingling in my left hand. So now I had tingling running down both arms into both hands, severe chest pain. I immediately went into the house because I knew at that point I was having a heart attack. I yelled for Trish to call 911. I went in, I got into our house, I got into the, you know, and she was like, what's wrong? What's, you know, so I'm having a heart attack. You just got to call 911. So she immediately did. The one thing I will say that um, doctors have told me later that I did right, and I had also heard this advice before, so I recommend to people, is to chew an aspirin. Um, I asked her to get me an aspirin. We had the big ones, the 325 milligram. And if you've ever chewed an aspirin, they just taste like, <laughs> yeah. it's just the most disgusting thing. But when it feels like somebody stabbing you in the chest, chewing an aspirin isn't so bad. Um, the chest pains were absolutely excruciating at that time. I was on my bed in our bedroom, just writhing in pain. Oh. The pain was so severe. Um, it just it really did feel like somebody was just driving a knife into my heart. It hurt so bad. Um, and I could hear, and I remember laying there, like waiting for the ambulance to come and I could actually hear it off in the distance and was just like willing it to get hurry to my up, house faster. Um, so do you know how long it took for them? Not to long. I don't feel like it was more than a couple of minutes. Okay. Um, and so, you know, here we, here I have, you know, luckily my, my two girls, my nine month old, it wouldn't have mattered. My two and a half year old might've been upset, um, but she was napping. And um, so they didn't know any of this was going on. So I had like, you know, paramedics and EMTs and firefighters in my bedroom. And Trish will kill me for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, she was in a bathrobe because she was getting ready to get in the shower. And the first thing she says to the firefighters is like, this isn't what it looks like. <laughs> he was outside in the yard, I swear. Yeah, and I'm thinking oh, about myself now at the time, but later I'm like, wait a minute, that's a much better story than Yes, it is what it looks like. You were worried about what the neighbors were thinking. She was worried about what the paramedics were thinking. They were like, it's all right, lady, we've seen it all. That's a good story. So, um, and she's going to kill me when she hears this, but, um, so then, you know, of course I went by ambulance to suburban hospital. Um, the funny thing is when I got on the ambulance, they immediately gave me, um, nitroglycerin, which stopped the chest pain immediately because nitroglycerin, um, just completely dilates all your blood vessels in your body. And as soon as that happened, um, then the chest pain went away. Um, and when I got to the hospital, they took a blood test and through the, through a blood test, they can tell if you've had a heart attack because the heart muscle throws off various proteins and things that show signs of a heart attack. Um, so, I mean, I'm very lucky that I didn't suffer any heart muscle damage because it's another, another thing that can happen. Even if you don't go into cardiac arrest and die, you can kill your heart muscle. You can kill part of your heart um, and reduce your functionality for the rest of your life. So again, extremely fo fortunate that I didn't, you know, if I killed any heart muscle, it was a very, you know, maybe 1% or something very minor, nothing that would affect my functioning. Um, and, um, the next, so I was in that, so I, you know, the doctors confirmed I had a heart attack, which was, I already, you know, it was nothing I didn't know. Um, and then they recommended that I have angioplasty. Um, should I describe that? 
Sure. Yeah, yeah sure. please. So angioplasty, thank goodness for modern medicine, because, you know, probably 30 or 40 years ago, I've had open heart surgery. Um, now what doctors do is that they go in through your femoral artery mm-hmm. and your thigh, which is a, the major artery in your body, and they go through your thigh to fix your heart. Um, so they went in with um, catheters, in, which allow them to map your heart and see where the blockages are. It's amazing technology. I still don't completely understand how it all works, how they can map your heart and see what you know where things need to be fixed. Um, and then they have a second catheter that also goes goes in with the, the tool that they use. And that catheter has a balloon. It's called balloon angioplasty. It has a tip on it that um, basically goes through the clogged artery and presses the arterial sclerosis against the artery wall to reopen the artery and then they put a stent over it mm-hmm. that holds the sclerosis in place so that it doesn't any longer block the, the artery. So I had three stents put into my heart. Um, also lucky that they were they were not, you know, there's one artery in your heart they call the widow maker, which is yes. like the left mm-hmm. into the left mm-hmm. descending anterior artery. I, I didn't have a bad blockage there luckily. Um, but they weren't minor they were not minor blockages in my heart. One of my blockages was 98% and one of my right arteries in my heart. And I had a couple of other more than 90% blockages. And did you have any family history? So I I had a feeling you'd ask that question. And the answer is yes, some family history. So I had a grandfather who died fairly young in his fifties of a heart attack. And he had reportedly had a heart attack, although no one really knows in his thirties, no one could test for those sorts of things. And that would have been like in the 1940s. And at that time they told him to get blood, to get bed rest. Um, So that was the state of medicine back then. Um, But I, I somewhat hate to answer that question because people, it gives people an excuse to right. say, okay, I'm not going to have a heart attack at 41. He had a family history. That's why he had a heart attack. No. And that's not the case. I think everyone does that, though. When something bad happens to hey, someone look else, for the it's reason him. it's not going to happen to you. It's not going to yeah. happen to me. So. But along those lines, did you ever... Um, did you ever see a cardiologist? Did you ever think about your heart health before, prior to yeah. prior to this? Yeah, I mean, so I I had known from like ten years before my heart attack that I had high cholesterol. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and I had been taking cholesterol medicine mm-hmm. even before my heart attack. The problem is, is that I didn't, number one, I didn't get my cholesterol checked regularly enough. Mm-hmm. This is all part of the whole like laziness of taking care busy of me. And, right, laziness and busy and busy and yeah. So probably should have been higher doses of cholesterol medicine. And cholesterol medicine, you know, it's not a panacea. It has to work in combination with, with good health and fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't just take medicine and expect it to fix you. Um, so, you know, my family history isn't super strong, according to my cardiologist. Usually they look more at your parents and my, neither, you know, my mother has high cholesterol, but she's never had a heart attack. I mean, my dad didn't have a heart attack. He, he died of cancer. Um, but you know, I don't have a significant amount of family history and the doctors have all been very clear with me that had I had good health from my twenties on, I never would have had a heart attack in my forties, but they can't say never, but highly unlikely I would have if I had actually taken care of myself. So family history isn't the, you know, certainly my genetic predisposition um, made it possible for me to have a heart attack at 41 in combination with not taking care of myself. Right. So you have, so you have the angioplasty, you're recovering right. and what do your doctors tell you? What do you, what do you start right. thinking about? And, and you know, what do you right. look at moving forward? So, so two things. Um, one was that, you know, as I, before I even had the angioplasty, when I landed in the hospital and had the heart attack, like the day I had the heart attack, probably within an hour, you know, I started making plans to, to turn things around. 
This is hard for me. Yeah. Well, it's scary, you know. It's, it's okay. You know, I, I thought about my girls, and I realized that. <laughs> I had almost left them without a dad, and um, it crushed me. And they were so young at the time, so they would they not have so had young. a memory. They were so young. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, I didn't take care of myself. Sorry, Julie, I know you lost your dad. Um, see, I told you I was going to be the second person. Okay. <laughs> the We're all good with that here. We're a fun group. We're, <laughs> We're all going to talk about death and crying. Really, people are really going to want to listen to this podcast now. Anyway, so, yeah, so, I, you know, it crushed me. I, I realized what happened. You know, I realized, like, oh, my God, the reality of this, you know, just hit me like a ton of bricks. And as I told Lisa, you know, I thought the other thing that, you know, may, maybe this is a little narcissistic, but I was like, oh my God, my girls aren't even going to know who I was. Like, they, you know, a two and a half year old is not going to remember her dad when she's five, six or seven years old. You know, a, a nine month old is definitely not going to remember his dad. And I, like, I had this vision of my wife sitting and showing my kids pictures of me and, and telling her this was your dad when you were babies, but he, you know, he's gone. And I was like, oh my God, you know, that can't be the reality for me. It's really interesting that you remember in, in on this day when you went through so much that you remember your whole thought process. And it's yeah. it wasn't really about you. It was about wasn't narcissistic. Yeah. It was about your children right. and your wife. Yeah. So what you mentioned in your first statement, you said you were already putting plans in place. What what was happening in your mind in terms of putting plans into place in yeah. the hospital? Um, I, that I was going to become the healthiest person I knew. You know, that I was going to become somebody that people who knew me my whole life weren't going to recognize anymore. You know, I immediately was like, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to go to the gym regularly. You know, I didn't think like I'm going to become a runner, um, but I thought like I'm just going to become very fit and very healthy. Um, Let me ask you this. Had you yeah. ever said that to yourself before this? Because you've had, no. you were diagnosed with high cholesterol yeah, and other no. things. So this truly was the first Yeah, it was a wake up call. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, total wake up call. Um so yeah, so I just decided I'm going to become really fit and healthy. And even though I, you know, so just just take a step back. Whenever throughout my life where I'd have those yo-yo moments of exercising, I always did like to run. So I, I like to say now that there was a runner lurking inside me for 40 years because whenever I did spend a few weeks, you know, half-heartedly getting to the gym, I never went to the bike. I never went to the elliptical. Sometimes I'd go to the pool. But nine out of 10 times I get on the treadmill. I like to run on the treadmill. And I even ran outside like maybe a mile or two here or there, you know, in my 20s and 30s just to get some exercise. When I wanted exercise, I ran. It was very infrequent. It was very small. But, but you knew that was what you But it was like, there. I like to run. Zone, yeah. I like to run. It was kind of my comfort zone, yeah. Um, so then the other thing that I thought of in the hospital, this is kind of funny, and this is before my angioplasty. This is probably, you know, I don't remember exactly, but I feel like it was within hours after my heart attack, I pledged to run the Boston Marathon. And why did you pledge to I thought this was a very interesting. <laughs> That's so random, well, and I want to hear But it's so interesting, and first of all, you didn't realize at the time you have to qualify. I had no idea. But what, tell us why you, no idea, why right. the Boston Marathon. So I grew up in Massachusetts. Ah, okay. So, 
I'm a Boston boy. Bingo. Um, I grew up <laughs> about I grew up about 50 miles south of Boston in uh, an old blue collar mill town called Fall River, Massachusetts. Most famous for um, a notorious inhabitant named Lizzie Borden, uh-huh. who killed her parents with an axe uh-huh. back in the 1800s. They've made some movies before about your that. time. Before, way before my time. Um, but um, so I grew up south of Boston. Spent a lot of time in Boston as a kid. You know, we'd always go up there for various fun days out with my parents and things like that, go to the Children's Museum or just go to Faneuil Hall and spend the day. And then I went to college in Boston. I went to Northeastern University undergraduate. So I lived in Boston. I worked in Boston. Um, In addition, the other funny thing is that um, I was a member of the Massachusetts Air National Guard. So I was an Air National Guard slash reservist for eight years in Massachusetts. And um, being in the Mass Air Guard, we were activated every April to provide security and crowd control for the Boston wow. Marathon. Um, and at the time, I was I joined the National Guard at the age of 18. Um, so I was in from 18 to 26. Um, I, you know, I sort of looked forward to going because it was a big party, but I could care less about the, like, I, you know, we had, I was at a front row seat because I was providing security. So I'd be like standing in the street and the world's top runners would come running by me. I didn't know who they were. I didn't care. No desire to run no it. Desire no, to, no, no desire, no, no personal yeah. desire to run it. No inkling of what Boston You're like, what are those crazy people, people doing like, out why there? Why are they doing this? Uh, to me, it was just like I had to do a day of work and I'd get to go party later. That's fascinating. So that's what all that's why security a, feels when they're <laughs> <laughs> when's the party. When's the party? Yeah, when's the party? Yeah. When's the party? When can right. I go drink? Exactly. Yeah. So, so that was why that you so said when that I, in your so head. So when I was laying in bed in my hospital room, the thing that popped into my head is something that was like really like a big deal, something momentous. I was like, I needed, I wanted to, big I goal. thought about something that was a really big goal. And to me, it was like, it wasn't that running Boston was the holy grail for runners because I didn't know that or that you had to qualify because I didn't know that. Um, it was just that like, okay, Boston's my, my hometown. It has a special meaning to me. I, I love Boston. I love everything about Boston. Um, and running a marathon seems like a really big deal. Like here, you know, I've, I hardly exercise. So if I can get myself in enough shape to go run a marathon, man, I must be doing really good. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get fit and healthy and I'm going to go run the Boston Marathon. So obviously didn't leave the hospital that day and start training, right? Like, because clearly, so what what happened then? Like, how did you, first of all, what did you do? Like, what did you do to start your rehab? And and how did you start putting into plan, into process that plan of, I want to get to the Boston Marathon, but obviously you didn't go out and run the next day. Yeah. So the great thing is that at Suburban and at a lot of other hospitals around the country, they have what they call cardiac rehabilitation programs. Um, And I have talked to other people before who've asked me for advice about like, is that a good thing? And my definitive answer is always, it's an amazing thing. It's like, I, I still maintain contact with some of the cardiac RNs at um, Suburban Hospital um, and the manager of the program there. It really like, it was a major, you know, it was the part, it was the beginning of my new life at, at Suburban. Um, and in the, what happens in a cardiac rehab program is you go in, they give you a fitness plan and then you, it's like going to the gym, except the gym is in a hospital. Um, and except you're hooked up to an EKG the whole time you're working Make sure out that you're not to make sure that you're not going into any heart arrhythmias or having any, any problems. Good, which all. is good. It's an extra like security blanket. Right. It gives you the peace of mind. So you come in, they put an EKG on you. That's wireless with a little strap that goes on your shorts. And then there are computers at the front of the room where there are cardiac RNs that are sitting there monitoring them. And then you go do your workout plan. Um, and there's usually an RN that's walking around the room. That's also, you know, they're skilled also at, um, fitness techniques and advice and show you how to properly lift weights and how to, you know, how to do various things, but they're not, you know, they're not run coaches, of course. So they're not, they just will tell you 
you know, how many, you know, you should run 15 minutes and then go do this weight training regime or whatever. Um, and I think the program was like 10 to 12 weeks before I finally graduated. Did you start um, the program while you were still in the hospital? Like, no, I went back. It's, they, they basically told me not to exercise for like the first like 10 days after okay. my, after my surgery. Um, and then I could, and then I could start the other, the other thing is that I was so afraid of having another heart attack that I hardly ate. So I dropped 10 pounds in two weeks. Um, and then I dropped another 10 pounds the next two weeks. I, I actually lost 20 pounds the first month after my heart attack, basically from not eating, not from really exercising very much, um, just because I was afraid to put anything in my mouth. Really? Yeah. And were you afraid of exercise? Were you afraid of I was exercise? also afraid still, of exercise. Did you have that oh, yeah, fear that yeah. that was going to happen so, again? So, you know, but for the cardiac rehab program, I know I would have started exercising again, but I would have been really fearful. Right. And perhaps I wouldn't have, I mean, who knows if I would have ended up where I, where I am now. Like I might not have gone after it as vigorously without having that initial start of knowing that like, hey, I'm okay. Everything and by the time the 10 to 12 weeks okay. was up, you kind of had some confidence that I'm okay, yeah. that I can keep progressing. Yeah, exactly. And so what did you do when you left, left that program? So when I left the program, um, I just continued to, you know, I joined, I, I joined a gym for the first time in my life. I became a member, not like, I think in the past when I had exercise, like I'd go get one of these day trial I'd go to the YMCA where you could get in for the day or I'd get a friend to like sign me in or, you know, I'd be in, co in college where I could just use the gym. But so I'd never actually been a gym member. I signed up for a gym membership and I basically just continued on mostly with like the cardiac rehab program plan that they had given me, except I started adding a few extra miles. I, th I think the first six months after my heart attack, I don't think I ever ran more than like maybe 10 or 12 miles a week. Um, but which is significant because that's about three miles every other day. Yeah, which is a lot going from nothing. Right. So exactly. that's and you. So you went from zero to 10 to 12 miles a week. Right. relatively quickly after a heart attack, after heart attack. <laughs> that's yeah. that's I mean you minimize it because you're now a marathoner but that's very <laughs> significant to yeah do I don't really, I don't really think of it that way so it's interesting that you have an interesting yeah we perspective lose perspective on it. yeah you kind of yeah. lose perspective yeah did you feel that doing that exercise right away also helped to stave off um depression symptoms it did but I will also say frankly that I was depressed and that I did take an antidepressant mm -hmm. for the first year after my heart attack because Makes sense. I was depressed yeah um, and the exercise definitely helped and, mm -hmm. you know, helped to turn things around. And, you know, I probably, you know, I don't know what the dosages are, but I was probably on a pr fairly mild dose. And, you know, had I not been getting the exercise and making, feeling good about my progress, mm -hmm. maybe I'd have been on a higher dose. But, uh, yeah, I definitely was depressed for the first, you know, for at least the first year. Understandably. And so how did you start yeah. working towards your goal? Of yeah, so, so first and when I, did you figure out you had to qualify? I want to know when you, when you, you know, realized and what went through your mind when you realized you had to qualify. I don't know exactly when I realized. I think it was probably within the first year because so what happened was um, after this, at, towards the end of the six months, the gym in my office building, I work at um, NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. We have a fitness center in the building and um, they sponsor a 5K that's just for NOAA fitness center members. It's just government employees that work in the building. So it was like 25 people. And they go, we walk down to Rock Creek Park and they do a 5K throughout the park. And by then I had been running three miles fairly regularly. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm gonna sign up for this 5K. Let's, you know, let's check this out. And hey, I wanna run Boston eventually. So I might as well start somewhere. So that was your first race? So that was my first race was with NOAA. Um, although I should say that actually that was my first road race and my first race outside. I, I actually have a friend at Noah who likes triathlons and he talked me into doing this indoor <laughs> triathlon called the try to help. I don't know if you ever heard of this, but have, it's yeah. Stroop for kids, yeah. try to help triathlon. It's a one hour, 
you swim 10 minutes in an indoor pool, you spin 30 minutes in an and indoor bike, 20. and you run 20 minutes on an indoor treadmill. I don't really count that as my first like race or road race, but you know, it was it was fun and it was nice to, you know, it was with other people. It was nice to challenging. It was cha- challenging. It was challenging. Um, you know, it was also good for me too because the the person who started that started it for his daughter who has something called Icardi syndrome, which is basically it's a severe form of epilepsy, and she also has some um, other you know issues of development developmental issues. And you know, when I got to that the try to help, I, it was it was kind of like I was feeling bad for me and my my heart attack and my situation. And then I and this little girl is there, and I saw her, and I you know met her dad, and I was like. You know, there are people who have a lot worse things going on in their life and have children who have problems. Like I, I can get past it, you know, kind of like a little bit of channel, a little bit of Gabe Runwald, right? You know, yeah. I can get past, I can, I'm not going to worry about what, you know, I, I know what a heart attack has done to me, but I'm going to find out what I can do despite having a heart attack now, you know, and, and that was good. So then you ran your first 5k. Tell right. us what that was like for you. It was, it was really awesome. Um, just being outside and running against other people and, you know, the, the, just the exhilaration of like trying to, you know, you know, now I, I, as a more experienced runner, I I realize like it's more about like beating myself and I'm not going to beat all the people around me. But at that time it was my first race and only 25 people. And I look around, I'm like, I can take some of these people, you know, right. And they're, you know, I've been trash talking with a couple of the gym members. Did you like elbow your boss? No, I did not elbow my boss. Did you beat your boss? not that year, but in a subsequent year, I did. Oh, nice. And then you got fired. No. <laughs> <laughs> you just gave me an extra brief to write. Okay. <laughs> so you crossed the finish line, and we would imagine that you weren't last or even close I to last. I was not last. I was not last. Um, and it just, it felt really, it felt really good, you know, that I had, I had done this this race and and it was six you know, months after your heart it was attack? six months after my heart attack and I was breathing you know I was breathing really it was probably the most exertion I had given to anything you know I was breathing pretty hard um my heart rate had, you know I always wear a heart rate monitor when I run my heart rate had gotten pretty elevated um and so it just it felt it felt really good it felt like a good first and you were okay so and I, like, and and I was fine okay. and I was yeah. Fine. yeah so after that race um you unleashed the beast. So <laughs> what happened next? I don't know if I'd say that. So then I set my sights on bigger goals. So it was probably around then that I started thinking about Boston. I started thinking about, you know, and then I realized like, oh, I'm going to have to qualify for Boston. So I set my sights a little lower and I said, okay, well, you know, I'm not ready for a marathon yet. You know, I'm not that crazy. Um, I know I've just had a heart attack six months ago, but a half marathon seems doable. So <laughs> of all the I thought you were going to say it's 10K. 10K. <laughs> no, I went right from 5K to half marathon. Makes sense. Um, and so I started searching around for half marathons in the local area. And then I, I found the Parks Half Marathon, which is a big uh, half marathon that's, you know, runs right through my neighborhood, basically, and is sponsored by our local running group that we're all members of, Montgomery County Roadrunners. Um, and at the same time, I joined the Montgomery County Roadrunners. Uh, which was also a great decision because, you know, we're, it's just such a great community of, of people I've met, you know, so many people um, that I never would have had the opportunity to meet had I not started Especially running. for somebody who's starting to run and right. starting to train, gave you a lot of resources yeah, exactly. too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and at the, so at the time I was training with the program called Run Less, Run Faster which is a three day a week running program. So, this, so that was the next thing I did. I, I like that that appealed to you. You're like, I, I want to run, but I want to run less. I, I, right. I don't I, really want to run that many days. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and I, I like the I, I did so I would say the first like five years of my running, I did a ton of cross training, which was probably good. Yeah. Um, and I, I did run a lot less. Um, and so that was the first thing I did was find a training program. And I started to educate myself about, you know, okay, there's a thing called speed work. There's a thing called tempo run. There's a long run, you know, I started to get into the, you know, the mindset of, of what it takes to be a runner. And I started learning about runners and, you know, meeting and running with other people who were also runners. So I, I think those, that six months leading up to my first half marathon was like my education period. Um, and I set a goal of running my first half marathon in under two hours. Which is um, less than a year after your heart attack. It was, yeah. So it was Just in September year, of yeah. 2010. So it was about 10 months after my heart attack. So you had the audacity to not only <laughs> target a half marathon, but you actually- Under two hours. I thought that was doable. I thought it was doable based on how you know I, my easy runs felt. Sure. I thought I could do it. And I did. I Becky, ran, what was yes. your first 5K time? Do you remember? Well, I have it with me because I, oh no, I don't have the five to oh, ten. Okay. It was around, it was around 28 minutes, wow. somewhere around That's there, 27 okay. or 28 so minutes. So you knew some, you had, yeah. sorry, no, you knew you had some innate yeah. talent. And so you probably, because it sounds like you were a student of running, you extrapolated some times over there and I realized did. that you could feasibly exactly. finish in under two. Yeah. The Love Run it. Last, Run Faster book has like all these tables in it that you right. can say like, oh, if you can run a 5K, you know, until later in the summer, I'd go run myself and I'd see like, oh, how fast could I cover three miles? And I started looking at the tables and I was like, okay, I'm not pushing it that hard. I feel like I could do this relatively, you know, easily, especially with more training. Um and so I did, I ran, I think my first half marathon was like 155.52, I believe, is this was the final time. So you crushed your you So crushed I did, goal. I crushed my goal. Um, my wife threw a party for me, we had a fun time. It was great. That's awesome. So so your wife was there with your kids at the finish she line. She was, yep. And what was that like for it you when you crossed the finish very line? Very emotional. And you saw yeah, your family. It was really emotional. And just like, just I just felt good though. Like I was... You know, by then I had lost all my, you know, I was down to where I am now, basically, you know, I float between like 155 and 160 as a good weight for me. And I've lost all my weight. I, you know, I was regularly running, you know, 25 to 30 miles a week. I was doing a long run, you know, under the run fast program for a half marathon, you top out at 15 miles. So I was doing at least up to 15 miles once in a while. And did you struggle with your diet? Because, I mean, it sounds like food was yeah. very comforting for you pre-heart totally. attack. So it sounds like you did a lot of things to change your exercise habits, but obviously you changed your eating yeah. habits. How hard was that for you? It, it really actually wasn't that hard just because of the motivation I had and from the experience that I had. Like it what you know, it took me a while to get used to it but once it, it's kind of the funny thing is i think once you start eating healthy it built like uh, things that are unhealthy don't taste as good anymore and you don't have the cravings for some like i i don't think other than maybe snatching a few french fries off my kids plates every once in a while i don't you know i'd go out regularly and order a full plate of french fries with everything i would eat you know and now i'm like i'll have a side of vegetables or I'll have a salad which i know you hate <laughs> yes <laughs> um but yeah, it just, it really wasn't that hard to, to, you know, to switch. It is, it, I will say, I, I, I don't want to make a sign. It's easy. It's, it's, it's hard to avoid the temptations of really my thing is like, I have a terrible sweet tooth, like cookies, candy. Most cake. runners. Yeah, they yeah. don't yeah. we need that sugar. So that's yeah. I, and, I mean, I used to yeah. love fried food and that wasn't hard. That wasn't hard to give up. Yeah. Um, 
that's interesting. Did you have any guidance from, you know, you had, these car- you had the cardiac program, the yeah. exercise, you had guidance. Right. Too. I, I got guidance from the cardiac program. And one thing I would say to, to other people, you know, I, I, you know, I think for some of this, I'm speaking to people maybe whose spouses, you know, aren't as fit as, as they would, they would like, you know, the, the runners who are listening are probably doing most of what they need to do to be fit and healthy, but maybe other people in their lives aren't. Um, and so the things I would say that really work for me are one, um, you have to have healthy food with you at all times. Um, you know, I'm like a squirrel. I have food stashed everywhere because I don't want to have to go when I'm hungry to the grocery store or to stop to pick up a snack or to stop somewhere. And, you know, I mean, given, going to the gas station, going to like the gas station. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm more likely than not going to make the right choice just because of my history. But when you're hungry and you're, you know, and you're ravenous and you can think like, Oh, you know, I had a good run this morning. I, so I could have a, you know, I'm at Panera bread, you know, instead of getting a, you know, a chicken sandwich on whole wheat. Oh, I could have a cookie today. You know, I don't want to have that temptation. And so, I make sure that I have good snack. You know, I have nuts. I have healthy fruit and nut bars like Lara bars or Kind bars. I have chickpea snacks in my in my office. My my coworkers make fun of me because they call one of my office drawers the cantina because uh-huh. it's just absolutely loaded with healthy snacks, so that I never have to leave my office to go get a snack somewhere and go into the kitchen where they got the, the donuts. I have to go to the restaurant on the right. first floor or whatever. I bring my lunch. So another thing I do is I I just hardly ever eat out anymore. I mean, I like to eat out with my family, but like for lunch, I would always go out with coworkers. We'd go across the street. Mama Lucia's is across the street. Sorry, mamas. I still love you. Um, I know they sponsor the parks. Uh, in moderation. After you <laughs> run out of marathon, take a piece of Yeah, no, I'd go out for pizza three, four times a week with my coworkers. And now, you know, I bring lunch to work. And yes, I'll go out with coworkers for lunch once in a while, but it's... Exception. It's just an accept. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So was it hard for... Trish, Trisha, Trish. Not, no, you know, what's yeah. really funny is Trish is, um, she's a vegetarian. Okay. <laughs> she's like, finally, you're finally. Yeah. So I haven't gone vegetarian. I'm more of a pescatarian. I, I love my, you know, grew up in New England. I love my seafood. I can't give that up. And I, eat, you know, chicken, um, but I don't really eat any pork or red meat. I will occasionally, you know, after a marathon, I might, I might dig into a burger, but again, it's the exception, not the rule. Um, so, yeah. so you had someone sort of helping you, guiding you yeah. through this, through the hospital, through the cardiac right. care they, program. Yeah, they give you a nutrition program. And do you still feel that way now? I mean, you mentioned you keep snacks around and things like yeah. that. I'm asking you this because I think it's very interesting. It's almost as if you're, even though it's been 10 years, you still think there may be a chance, yeah. which you, you, your habits totally, are formed, right. but it's interesting that yeah, you're, just, you're almost like, I'm going to call you a helicopter eater where you're afraid of having a certain situation. So you prevent right. it. So yeah. that's, yeah, totally. Or actually yeah. it would be a lawnmower eater. Like <laughs> yeah. Like um, no, I think that's great. That's great for people to hear. If people need tips, you identified your weakness, which is eating right. the wrong foods when you're hungry right. or not wrong foods, foods that aren't the best choices when you're right. hungry. So you gave yeah. yourself the opportunity to choose things that you Put out there in advance. Right, I like exactly. that. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah. So let's so, let's move forward okay. to, right. to your first marathon. So when did you okay. decide to tackle okay. a marathon? So the after ne- the half. So after the half, I started thinking. So then you know I started thinking about a marathon, um, and I honestly thought like, well, maybe I could qualify for Boston in my first marathon. I know some people do it. Um, and what did you need in your first marathon? Because this was several so years I was, ago. So I, I was or, um, forty. I was in the 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40. So I needed a three twenty at right. that time. Um, and so that was, you know, that was a pretty, 
that's a pretty quick time. Um, yeah, and a one fifty five half marathon wouldn't quite extrapolate. Yeah, no, to that. I didn't. So and I, I was, I knew, I knew I needed a lot of improvement. Yeah. So, you know, so I, so my my so my first marathon was in was exactly almost exactly two years after my heart attack. Um, I decided my in-laws have a, a, um, a condo and they're snowbirds in Cape, Cape Canaveral, Cocoa Beach, Florida. And we were going down for a family vacation. And, and I had looked around to see if there were any races in Florida. I thought oh, it'd be really cool to run while I'm on vacation. Um, something all right. Which, which, which we all right do now. Which we all do. And now I totally do that all the time. Yeah. That was my first Always experience with there. looking for a race while on vacation. I was like, oh, there's this race. There's a marathon called the Space Coast Marathon. That's right there in Cape Canaveral. And it's in November. Um, and, you know, maybe the weather won't be too hot. It'll be, it'll be okay. Was this in November after the September half marathon? Yes. Wow. So you right. had so, so a one November, year later. November 20, 2011. Right. So which will be your one year anniversary right. and only two months after having run the half marathon no no so not that i'm sorry so it was not a year after okay it was, no, two, after. So it was right so it was yeah. two years after. right so the heart attack okay. in 2009 yes, okay. half in 2010 okay. full marathon in got it okay i was like wow that's yeah. a quick time to prepare for a marathon so um i i think i had trained to run it and but you know reality set in and i started training and i set my time as around i think it was like 340 or 345 um, and trained to that all summer again, using the run fast, run less program, which top the mileage on that program. I, I think at the time topped out at like maybe low forties, um, just still decent. And, um, I, and it got, it got really warm. It was warmer than I, you know, it's Florida, but uh, it, the race starts at six o'clock in the morning to try to avoid some of the heat. It still got too hot. It got up into the seventies. Um, it was my first experience hitting the wall. It was really the last 10 K were really, really rough. Um, I was maintaining like my 340 to 345 a mile pace for all for the first you know 20 miles, and then the wheels came off as we all know. Typical story. Typical <laughs> story. And I ended up finishing in 357.09. Oh, that was my amazing. first marathon. Still under four hours yeah. for your first Broke marathon. Four hours. And I have a great picture, which I should also show you, of my um, oldest daughter Eleanor, who um, my wife sent out to run with me for the last like you know, couple hundred feet or so. Um, and we crossed Cheryl the finish line holding picture. hands is great. That's, that's um, fabulous. And that was a great feeling. And what was your so, first thought when you finished that marathon? I'm never <laughs> doing this again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was so, I was hurting so bad after that first marathon. Uh, my legs were cramping. I, it was one of those deals where like, I didn't know what to do with my body. Like if I sat down, it hurt and like I was cramping and then so I stood up and I was tired and my legs were cramping more. And I'm like, do I go, do I sit? Do I lay down? What do I do? My whole body's like rebelling against me. Yeah. Do I keep, I tried walking, but my feet were like on fire. Um, did was, you ever have any sense of fear during that race? Because it was your first marathon. It was extraordinarily hot. You weren't yeah. acclimated. And the heart attack was just two years earlier. Did you yeah. think about that while I, you were running? I did, um, but I always run with um, a heart rate monitor, and I'm, you know, I am very, very good at listening to my body. And had I had any type, you know, it, it definitely crossed my mind. Mm -hmm. um, but had I had any sense of any chest pain or discomfort, you know, I would have stopped immediately. Um, and I, and in my personal rule is um, I never let my heart rate go above about 95% of max. That's that's about it. I know some people will push it up to 98, but I just don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, so if I have a limiter, it's my own it's my own limiter. Once I hit 95% of max, I back off. Um, and 
but you know, since my heart attack, I have, you know, knock on wood, I've not had any, they call it angina, when you have um, symptom symptomology of, of pain or tightness in the chest. I have not had any angina or chest pains or anything of any kind since then. Mm. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention at the beginning, which I'll just throw out, because people may not know, is that I had symptoms of an impending heart attack before my heart attack, and I didn't know what they were. Really? And that was I had pain in my back. And people don't know that as a pain. I had pain in the in the upper center of my back. Wow! And um, uh, my wife even had said like she she had noticed me like throwing my shoulder back, and I thought I had like a pinched nerve or I had like a pulled muscle in the middle of my back. And I'd always be kind of like for like a month or two like kind of pushing my back back and stretching out so right behind your shoulder, right behind right, in between yeah. my shoulder blades in my back. The and place where we all tend to slash because we use our iPhones yeah. too much. Yeah. So we think that that's, so yep. that is interesting. But it, and it came in combination with exertion. Like I remember this one time after the heart attack and thinking back, mm-hmm. I had been walking up kind of a hill and another time when I had been walking up a set of stairs where the pain started to get a little stronger on my back and, and after, and then I talked to my doctor and he was like, oh yeah, that was clearly angina. That's that great to know. That's really so, important. Anyway, yeah. don't ignore pain in your back. Yeah, right. So you finished that marathon. You said right. you're never going to run again, but you still had this goal of qualifying <laughs> for Boston. So obviously you said, what right. happened? Right. So I did end up taking a couple of years off. My, my girls were still really young in 2011. My oldest was four. My youngest was two. Um, and I just didn't really have the time to put in. And at, and, and by then I kind of knew that it was going to take more than, than the mileage I was running to get into Boston. Um, for me, at least, I think a lot of people have done really well and run less, run faster. Plenty of people have qualified for Boston in that program. But I have learned, especially, you know, since then, even more so that I get really fast as I start putting on the miles. It really comes to me, especially as I hit 50 miles. I don't. I could almost not do speed work. And if I hit 50, 50 or more miles, the speed just like comes flooding into me. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so I, I knew that was the case and I knew I didn't really have time for that with young kids. So I took a couple years off. I didn't. So my next marathon wasn't until 2014. And which one was that? So that was Marine Corps. Okay. So that was five years after. After my heart attack. Five years post heart attack. And And what did you change in your training between then and and between your first marathon and that marathon? So wanting to change my, I wanted to change my training plan. I wanted to do something that had more mileage. And I came across the Hanson Marathon method which required a big change in mileage. It's six days, for people who are familiar with it, it's six days a week. For the advanced marathon plan, it's a minimum of 45 miles and it tops out at 63. Um, and it's, and again, it's six days a week of, of running. Now they, you know, the, the program itself coaches that most of the runs are very easy runs or easy, slow pace runs. It's just building mileage. And they, they say cumulative fatigue is their, their, their key thing. Um, and you definitely get cumulatively fatigued. So you're running on, on tired legs. You're running on tired legs you're doing all, your long the runs, yeah. all the time. And you're also running a lot of miles at marathon pace. Um, in the last, in the three weeks before the taper, you do a, a 10 mile marathon pace run. Um, once a week with, with a plus a warm up and cool down. So you do like a half marathon with 10 miles at, at MP. So you get a real good feel for your marathon pace on tire and on tire legs. And what was your marathon? What were you targeting at that point? So I was targeting, I, I was training to run a Boston qualifying time at that point. I had, I needed, so I had run 357 at Space mm-hmm. Coast. I needed to drop like a half an hour basically. And that's a lot time. of time. It was a lot of time, but I, you know, it was a couple more years. Post, you know, post that marathon, I had more, I'd run a lot more half marathons. I had a lot more experience as a runner. And you I could was, extrapolate the I could times. extrapolate the times. My 5K times put me pretty close. And I thought, you know, if I build up to 60 miles a week, I, I may I may be right there. 
So I spent that summer of 2014 working really hard, following the Hanson plan, you know, extremely closely, putting in the big miles and um, getting ready to run Marine Corps. So we, you know, so I, I got to Marine Corps, felt great. Um, weather did not cooperate as we, as we know in the DC area, um, I, I've, I've now come to realize I didn't make a good choice in picking Marine Corps probably to try to qualify for Boston because it's a little bit hilly and the weather's just totally uncooperative here. October is not good. Marathon weather in DC. We tend to have warmer weather. We tend to have yeah. warmer weather, right? So I, I mean, you know, so I ended up running Marine Corps in three hours and 32 minutes and 50 seconds. Oh, huge wow. improvement. It's still right? a huge improvement. Right. So I, I knocked 25 minutes off of my previous PR. So I PR'd by 25 minutes. I missed Boston by eight minutes. I was really bummed because um, I had held my my boss, my BQ pace again all the way up. This time I held it all the way up until the last 5K. Wow. And at the last 5K, the heat and humidity and fatigue and, I, you know, it, looking back and being honest, I probably wasn't quite, you know, I probably should have been running five seconds a mile slower for that. And that makes a difference. It that makes a big difference. Five yeah. seconds makes a big yeah. difference. I probably didn't have the fitness, you know, right there. Um, and you know, so I missed it by eight minutes and I was really bummed. You're so interesting to me because here you are five years earlier, you were lying in a hospital bed, <laughs> completely out of shape. Five years after that, you run a marathon, you knock 25 minutes off and your you're time, disappointed and you're disappointed <laughs> no, keeping, sustaining a, basically I'm doing the math here. You did about a 7:45 pace. Well, a little bit slower than that, but yeah, Seven, yeah, it was close, like seven fifteen, not seven fifty five, fifty seven fifty five to have yeah. a buffer, something like that, and yeah. until mile twenty three. Right. So, I mean, you crushed it, but in your mind, you were yeah. disappointed. That's a riot. Yeah. Was your wife like, I want to just slap you? <laughs> here you are, kind like, of. Yeah. yeah. So, I assume you overcame that obstacle of being disappointed in yourself when you had a chance to step yeah. back and I did although I will say though again you know in 2014 my girls were still pretty young mm -hmm. still was you know I, I realized like wow you know to get to Boston is a really serious commitment here we have you know I put in 60 mile weeks I worked my tail off I was running you know seven hours a week probably um, and I still didn't get there and I, I, I thought like wow I don't you know I don't know if I'm ready yeah, I think I need a few more years and you're going to need my kids to get a little older and for me to be a little, maybe a little less busy. Because there's a big difference between being fit enough to not have another heart attack and being fit enough to run a Boston qualifying marathon. And I don't have to. I mean, there, there, there actually, there were a few times where I started to think like, okay, maybe this BQ goal is not really attainable for me. Maybe it's something I shouldn't do. You know, may, maybe I just don't have, you know, either have it in me or I don't have the time with my life and I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be okay. I'm still fit and healthy. I still have come to develop that never giving up my running anymore. And you ran just a 332. Right, just because I don't run, just because I don't yeah. run Boston doesn't mean you know, I, I can't still be happy with myself. Oh, you didn't, you didn't but settle you didn't for that. Settle for that. I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't settle for that. So funny thing is you see these signs, right? So I did, but I did take another like two years off. Um, I didn't run another marathon until 2016. So you ran a lot of shorter things. I ran a lot of shorter things again. Which by the way, benefited your running for sure, because when we right. change things up and right, we don't exactly. repeat Sharpen the Sharpening your shorter yeah. distance yeah. speed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did. I ran a lot of 5Ks, 10Ks, 10 milers. I love the Cherry Blossom 10 miler. Mm -hmm. I've run it every year. Um, and so in 2016, I decided I want to run another marathon again, but I'm not really quite feeling like I'm ready to 
put in the kind of mileage I needed to BQ, but I want to have I want to have fun. So I was like, you know, what? I'm going to do I'm going to do Marine Corps again. I'm going to have a do over. Um, I'm not I'm just going to go have fun at Marine Corps. It's a local race. I can just drive over there. Um, and so I started training again for Marine Corps. I think I went back to the Run Last Run Fast program, which you know had the lower mileage, and I was still doing a lot of cross training. And the funny thing is, is in the middle of the training for that. Um, I happened to see that the Baltimore Marathon had this awesome crab metal, and I work <laughs> yeah. at NOAA, and you know, I, I advise on fisheries and uh, marine mammal, marine man. mammal <laughs> matter, and I was like, that would look really cool hanging in my office, and the Baltimore Marathon was two weeks before Marine Corps, and I was like, you know, if I'm in marathon shape for the Marine Corps, I can just go run Baltimore too, and I'm not planning to like go kill it, I'm just going to go run 26 miles, so... That's what I did in 2016. I ran Baltimore, and then two weeks later, I ran Marine Corps. Um, so I ran back-to-back -back marathons, and I ran both of those at around the same time that I ran my very first marathon. I was in the high 350s, like 355. I think I, I was better than my first one, but not by much. I was just, you know, having a good time. Yeah, and back-to-back, -back, so. And back-to-back, -back, and then and that kind of, I said, okay, you know, uh, these marathons, that was my fourth, those are my third and fourth marathons. I'm like, you know, I, I can do this. And I think next year I have time to put in more mileage to make a real go at this, to try for Boston again. So I kind of got the bug back after those two, even though I wasn't running fast for me. And so what did you do in that was 20? Okay. So that was 20 and that was through the end of 2016. Yeah, so 2017, so what was your 20, plan? So 2017 rolls around and I think, okay, um, you know, so I spent the first part of 2017, I ran the BNA Half Marathon, which is another local half marathon that a lot of people around here run. So I got into the spring and, you know, I was questioning, do I really want to do this? Do I want to go for Boston or not? And um, I thought, you know, I really do want to, I, th I think this is the time for me. I feel good. I'm feeling really good as a runner. I think I can, I have the time in my life that I can put in these miles and I'm just, you know, I'm going to go for it. Um, so, so at that time, I thought to myself, but I really, if I'm going to go for it, I don't, I don't want to have to keep doing this over and over again. Like I'm pulling out, I told everybody at the time, my wife and everybody, I was like, I'm pulling out all the stops this time. So number one, I said, I told my, I told my wife, I said, I'm hiring a coach. Um, and it wasn't you guys. I didn't know about you guys. <laughs> oh, it's okay. We'll uh, forgive you for that. <laughs> um, but the value of having a coach. Yeah. The value yeah, of so, and who did you, so how did you find I hired a virtual coach actually through the hand. So I still wanted to train with the Hanson program. Um, so at the time, Luke Humphrey, who's one of the, yeah, uh, the guys yeah. who um, teaches to the program and he wrote the book, The Hanson Marathon yeah. Method, he had a coaching business and a virtual coaching business. So I contacted them and I got assigned to be coached by um, Brendan Gregg, who's still a Brooks Distance Project runner. In fact, he came in 20th at the Boston Marathon wow. last, last year. This is a fantastic runner and he's a great coach. Um, anyway, so, you know, it cost me a couple hundred dollars a month. And I told my wife, I was like, I'm not going to do this forever. It's just, I got to get that BQ investment and I need a coach. It's an investment. Yes. It's an investment. So I, I highly recommend getting a coach. And the thing about the coach too, is I, I, you know, I thought I knew a lot because I had read a lot about running and done a lot of training. Um, but he really opened my eyes to how different, you know, running could be and how different training could be with a lot of variety. Um, you want me to give a couple examples? Yeah, sure. Okay. So a few things like, you know, whenever I would do speed work before I had a coach, you know, if my speed work said, go run a 400 at 630 pace, like I would knock myself out trying to hit 630 pace. Um, and when I got Brendan, he was just like, no, no, you can go within a range. You're not a professional runner. You're not going to hit that second every split. You know, he's like, 
take a five to 10 second range. You know, if it says, if I say 630, run 625 to 635. And I was like, oh, that totally takes the pressure off me of having to hit that time. And it's still right there. It's fine. And tune more into your effort. And tune more into my effort, right. Yeah. Than, than just a number on a page. Same thing with like marathon pace runs. He would vary those up in a way that I had never dreamed about. So instead, you know, in, in, previous days, if I had eight miles at marathon pace at say 7.45 a mile, I'd go run eight miles at 7.45 a mile. Brendan would say, no, no, go run your first two miles at eight minutes a mile, run your second two miles at 7.45 a mile, you you know, or your, or your middle four at 7.45 a mile and your last two at 15 seconds faster than marathon pace. To simulate to running a race. To, to simulate mm -hmm. progressively getting faster as you go. Mm -hmm. So then, mentally, that mental push yeah. of having to dig a little bit deeper. Right. So this, so coach, you know, he was great. And it was just also nice, like to have somebody to bounce things off of. Mm -hmm. If I had a bad day, you know, I could go to, you know, in the old, the old days before I had a coach, I'd say like, well, what should I do tomorrow? Should I take the day off? Should I still try to go run that? You know, I could just text Brendan and say, hey, Brendan, what should I do tomorrow? I don't have to think about it. Yeah, it takes the it thinking nice. process out. So it sounds like Brendan was a valuable investment. Yeah. And so now you have this training under your belt. What marathon did you decide to target? So I targeted the Bay State Marathon. In, in my home, no, oh, in Massachusetts. Oh, my, home, right. my, Massachusetts. My, my home state yeah, of Massachusetts. Yeah, I just recommended this to one of our runners who's looking for a fall race. Yeah. And I told her she's looking for something drivable. I said, it's a little far, but it, I, I remembered you telling right. me that about it. And I right. told her that would be a great race. Yeah. So. so when I said before that I pulled out all the stops, so I hired a coach. I decided to find a race outside the D.C. area that I could travel to that was billed, you know, through Marathon Guide as one of the top Boston qualifiers. I decided I had to travel and find a really good, favorable race. Um, and Massachusetts had appealed to me since it's my hometown, you know, my home state. Um, and I also, we can talk about this if we have time, I focused more on my nutrition, not nutrition for health, but nutrition for, for actual performance. And, um, and I, you know, I increased my mileage again, as I had previously with Hanson. So I went to Bay State. So it's the Bay State Marathon in Massachusetts, in, not in the Lowell, Bay Shore Marathon in Michigan. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so it's in Lowell, which is it's right Lowell, outside of Boston. Right outside yeah. Boston. Mm -hmm. Yep. So tell us about that race. Cause we, like we said, we recommended to one of yeah. our runners and, um, what was appealing about that besides the fact that it was near your hometown, yeah. what's the terrain like for that? Flat and fast, so that that was the main thing. And is the, it two loops? Is that, or is that a loop um, no? It's one. It's one. It's one loop. Okay. It's one. It's one. It's one big loop. As I recall, I'm trying to think okay. now. It's been a couple of years, but yeah, I think it was just one loop. And what time of year is it? And so it's in October. It's basically the same time as Marine Corps, mm -hmm. but it's in Massachusetts, okay. which theoretically Warmer. should be I mean, should be should be colder. Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately it was not of course. in 2017. Now it wasn't as warm as, you know, we don't, they don't get the humidity, but that day it started out cool in the morning. It was like in the mid fifties, but by the end of the race, which is out in, you know, kind of out in the open and full sun in the last like 5k, um, it was in the seventies, mm. which gets pretty That's warm. warm yeah. yeah. So I still did everything, you know, everything I did paid off. I got my BQ. Um, I BQ'd, so I, I got my PR and my BQ. I and ran, what was your time? I ran 326 wow. and like 23, I think it was. Fantastic. And, and I needed three and 330 mm -hmm. to be, because I was qualifying in the 50-year-old age mm -hmm. group. I was 49 at the time. I was at that sweet spot where you can you can qualify for the next age group yes. up. Because it's the 
age of your birthday that that's age of, that, that you run Boston. Right. It's, a, it's a, the, the yeah, next Boston that, that you're trying to qualify right, for. Exactly. So you could be 49 because you'll be 50 when you're when running Boston. For 2019. So you had a beautiful race in spite of the heat. You finished well under your qualifying time. What did that feel like? I mean, it felt awesome to have a BQ. I mean, I was howling and yelling. Oh. Even as I was crossing the finish line, I was like, oh, my God, you know, here I am um, eight years post heart attack. I made this promise to run Boston. And, you know, I finally have taken this first giant leap um, to, you know, I'm not there yet, but this is, you know, I needed this. You know, and it just, it felt, it felt really, really great. Um, they have a BQ bell that you can ring and, you know, it was just. Was um, your family there? Um, my, my family from Massachusetts okay. was there, but my, my, my home, my kids and my wife were And was home. that time enough to get you into Boston? So I, I did not know at the time. So this was October of 2017. Um, so I would not know if that time would get me into Boston until September of 2018. And I was concerned because the time for 2018 had just been released in September 2017. Um, and it was Boston qualifying time plus three minutes and 23 seconds. Or my, minus, like, minus, be under, my, yeah, under three, yes, And you actually. were under by about... Like I was under by like three minutes and 40 something seconds. Okay. So I still would have got, if, if I had been trying to get into 2018, that would have gotten me in. Yep. But I thought to myself, people are now going to set a higher goal. Is this going to be good enough for it's, the this next isn't, year? This might not be good enough for next year. And, you know, so I talked to my coach and he was like, wow, it would be really crazy. You know, if Boston, if the Boston qualifying time, if you had to be faster than 323 next year, it's like, I think you've got this. I don't know. You know, it's like, well, listen, I, I've got the fitness. I'm feeling really good. You know, what do you think about me? Like just going to do another training cycle. And he was like, okay, you know, maybe we can get a spring marathon in, but, but let's take a month off. So I, I did, I took a month, not, not completely off of, but I took a recovery month, you know, I took a week of no running and then another week of like easy jogging, basically took your typical like post-marathon, like cool down period. And before I start rebuilding up again, and then I went right into another marathon rebuild after that month. Towards which marathon? Towards this time I picked, my wife would have going to kill me if I had pit, had to pay for another airfare uh -huh. and another hotel, you know, hotels for multiple for nights and yeah. all that. So I was like, I need something closer to home. I still needed a hotel, but I wanted driving distance. Um, so I chose the One City Marathon in Newport News, Virginia, mm -hmm. which is about three or four hours from us here in D.C. Mm -hmm. Easily drivable, you know, day, day less than a, you know, half a day's distance. Hotels. Yeah, inexpensive hotels. Yeah. You know, you can, I could finish the marathon and drive home the same day. I only needed one hotel night. I only need, you know, I could drive down the day before for, for packet pickup. Didn't, it was a little frills. So, um. So I, you know, I, I trained again, same, same deal, coach, coach, high mileage, follow, you know, coaching to the Hanson program, following my nutrition plan. Um, and um, that turned out to be perfect. The one city marathon is a point to point course, totally flat. Um, and it was cold. It's early March. You risk snow, although it's Virginia. So, you know, snow is not too frequent in Virginia, but early March, you know, you could end up with a snow squall. Um, but it ended up being in the forties. The weather was perfect. It was like 44 at the start and maybe fifth, low fifties by the end, if that, um, and I just, it was, it was the best, you know, to date that I had ever felt. And even since then, so since then I've only run Boston. Um, but, but I just felt so great in that marathon. Uh, my pacing was perfect. I had you know, mostly even splits through the first part of the course. 
And then um, my last 10K was the fastest 10K of the race. The wheels never came off. I wow. never hit the wall. I kept picking up speed the whole way. My la- In fact, you know, I averaged 741 a mile. My last mile was a 715 mile, mile 26. Wow. Picked it up. So pick I just it up. hammered it home. And so what was your time? What was your so my final time was 323.07. Oh, and that's your PR. And that was, that's my PR. That's great. And, and plenty of time. And that was almost qualify. seven minutes more than the Boston Qualifier. Now that we look back, what was the cutoff time? Do you remember what the cutoff time was for so, Boston 2019? Yes. So the cutoff time for Boston 2019 was four minutes, 52 so seconds. So your first time would not have. My first time would not have gotten me into Boston. Wow. So smart that you did that. Yeah, I would have been really crushed after getting And I know so many people who have been crushed by yeah. making a BQ cut and then getting. And seconds. We have, you and know, some people yeah. seconds. seconds. So we probably, we we did say the same thing as your coach. Hey, you'll, you'll be fine. In yeah. the past, we would have said the same thing so nobody would have thought it was four gonna be four minutes you really had some great intuition and sort of knowing that and playing off of your fitness that you had built for that cycle so any injuries from doing consecutive marathons not as far as i know i did get injured late the following fall like six months later but i can't attribute it to to, you know to that and that was before boston though and that was before boston and what was your injury so i broke my second metatarsal on september 30th running the dogfish dash in delaware um this could get into another hole we could be here for a long time but i i blame it on the vaporfly four percents yeah um so i was running in those and as you know they have a very stiff carbon fiber insert Mm -hmm. and i think biomechanically they just weren't good Mm-hmm. for me. I had run in them quite a bit um, and had had some top foot pain only in those shoes. And I attributed it to the lacing or the styling. I didn't realize that the top foot pain was potential stress fracture. Um, and um, and then I broke my foot while wearing them. And since then, I've done some research and I've read about them and I've come across other people and other foot doctors who have who have counseled against the Vaporfly 4% yeah. for that reason. I think it just also goes to show that, you know, you have to make sure you're in the shoe that's right for your yeah. biomechanics and not maybe the right. newest trendy shoe or the one that right. looks Although the best I, or that your friend wears. Or... It, no, it's true. Although I will say I love those shoes. They were so <laughs> much didn't fun love to back, run in. Apparently. They didn't love me back. They were fun to run in. Um, they were just, I. it was like, I, I can't explain it, but they were just they, they did improve speed, uh, you know, from the way I felt. Um, and they were just fun to run in, but biomechanically, they didn't work for me. They work yeah. for, fa- you know, thousands of people love them. They're spending that kind of money oh, for them for no reason. I mean, as a spectator this year at the Boston Marathon, yeah. I was just astounded by the number of people wearing vapor flies. Yeah. And my thoughts were... I, I have a hard time believing that, that every single one of them, every single yeah. person, they so, see free speed or not free speed, speed for yep. <laughs> pay for some extra yep. speed. And, but you had to pay with the, I paid with a broken so foot. So you recovered, you were in a boot. So I spent eight weeks in a boot and mm-hmm. I sort of recovered because, so I got out of the boot around November with just enough time to spare for, you know, Boston. so I had December, January, February, March to train for Boston. Um, I had never, before I broke my foot, I always had a plan of just going to Boston to have fun. I never intended to go PR at Boston um, just because I didn't want my Boston experience to be marred by hitting the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, when it's just experience. I just wanted to experience it. But I did have a plan. I was actually going to go back. Had I not broken my foot, I was going to try and PR at Newport News again, mm-hmm. um, like six weeks before Boston. 
to have a time thinking like I'd have a PR, I'd have a great time, I'd get a time for 2020, and then I'd just go have fun in mm -hmm. Boston. So breaking my foot knocked me out of going to get a PR at a time for 2020. Um, but I got in the time to train, although from breaking my foot and being in the boot and messing with my biomechanics, which I, I knew was going to happen when I broke my foot, I knew that there were going to be secondary effects. Um, I ended up developing patella tendonitis. Um, I built back very slowly. Um, I didn't follow the 10% rule, but I was pretty close to that. You know, I built maybe five miles a week over eight weeks, up to 40 miles, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20. I stopped at like 25 miles and I, I did like two weeks at 25 before I went up again. But um, my body just wasn't ready for that kind of mileage after breaking the foot. And I'm sure that my gait was a little off yeah. from that. Um, and so I really struggled with tendonitis all through the whole build up to Boston. Mm. Um, By the time you got to Boston, were you still feeling it? Oh, yeah. 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 I was, you know, I think on the day that I ran the marathon, I took um, an anti-inflammatory mm. because it was just pretty painful at that point. So you finished Boston. It I wasn't Boston. a competitive time for you, but, no. but did you enjoy it? I had an awesome time. That's, I just, I had a fantastic that's time. That's what Boston's about. Yeah. My hand hurt worse than my feet from all Giving the high all fives. all the high fives. That's great. That's, and what were your thoughts when you were in Athletes Village getting ready to run the race this year? It was all kind of surreal. I, I still, I'm still almost sort of pinching myself that I actually got, the, you know, after almost 10 years of trying to get to Boston and having Boston as a goal and it meaning so much to me. You know, more than just it became something as a runner, you know, because I became a runner, it became a running goal. But it, it, there was a much bigger goal behind it. And so it really, you know, I had made a promise to my family and I kept the promise. When you were running on that course, were you thinking about your life before where you were on the totally. other side watching that and thinking yeah. how much of a difference that yeah. was from where you couldn't have cared less about yeah. the runners on the course to where that was your defining yeah. moment? That's something yeah. you worked so hard to get to. Yeah. The whole That's thing was really, just really surreal. Was it as was there any disappointment or was it better than you thought it would be? I don't think, I mean, it, it got a little warm uh -huh. this year. I was a little disappointed that, it, you know, towards the end it's, I still flag, you know, people had a hard time, but um, I, you know, I ran the whole thing. I was hurting a little by the end. I probably didn't enjoy Boylston street as much as I would have if it had been like 10 degrees cooler, uh -huh. but really there's nothing to complain about running Boston. So uh -huh. it was a, a not only a, um, a crazy goal that you achieved, but it was worthwhile, it sounds like, in terms yeah. of what you felt when you achieved that goal. There was no letdown. No. That's what I'm trying to ask. No, no letdown at yeah. all. I mean, I just soaked in the whole experience. So now what? <laughs> I know that, that's, that's what I've been wondering. I mean, I definitely want to go back to Boston. It's too late for to get in for 2020. Um, so after Boston, I took three weeks off, completely off of running to, to mend up my um, patella tendonitis. Um, the other thing is I also, I, I, I have admitted that um, in talking to Lisa that, you know, strength training really fell by the wayside over the last four years as I built mileage to 60 miles a week. It's like, who has time to go to the gym when you're running 60 miles a week? Um, and that was my, also a downfall. I don't think the strength training caused my, um, foot to break, but I, I think it probably, um, exacerbated the patella tendonitis because my legs weren't strong enough to recover from the foot break. Um, and, um, I definitely have, you know, come back to realizing I need more strength training. I try to do much more. I don't, I still don't think if I, if I train for marathons, I know I'm not going to have time for hitting the gym. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've started doing much more in the way of what I'm calling exercise snacks. And I'm, you know, I have a, I have an office job. I was just going to say, that's why we don't have to go to a gym. Doesn't have to be an hour long, 10 nope. minutes here. 
stand up in your office, do some, yep. you know, single leg squats. On a conference something. call, I'm yep. doing my lunges, I'm yep. doing my squat, I'm doing that's, my step ups important. on my office chair. And that's important. And that's yeah. what, you know, people don't th think that they have to be that all or nothing. And it doesn't. Right. It has like, extra, exercise yeah. snacks, is what, we, snacks. Is what we always say. And so, and you've been doing some races. We saw you lawyers have heart, which is an, uh, obviously very near and dear to totally. both of you for, uh, for many reasons. So that yeah. was, had you done that race before? I had. That was yeah. probably my sixth or seventh time. Right. I, I, I almost always run lawyers have heart. If I yes. can't, if I'm not, you know, if I'm in town, I run it. So, and you've been running shorter races and still. Yeah. I think let's see. Lawyers have heart. I'm trying to think if I've run anything else since Boston. I think that might be the only race, but I, you know, I have, you know, I'm starting now to think about other races and just this week. In fact, I also got, I got PT. I went to our, our favorite uh, PT practice. The other thing I'll say too, as a point is that I was doing strength training and my tendonitis was getting much better. And, you know, while we were still in the school year, I was thinking, I can't, I can't find a way to get to PT. So I'm just going to keep doing strength training on my own. I know I'm doing the right things. I'm doing a lot of good leg work and my, my tendonitis is feeling better, but I really should have gotten to the PT, even if just to get, even if I knew I couldn't go weekly, just to go one time, just to, to go get, one time to get some, to, to, to get to understand some, because, because the PT gave me some exercises that I wasn't doing that have actually, even in just the last two weeks, wow. vastly improved. You know, I didn't realize that the negative part of the contraction is better for So the down part right. is better for patella tendonitis than the up part. Mm -hmm. So he coached me to do a lot of downs on one leg and then up on two legs. Right. Where it's so you can keep doing more downs. Mm -hmm. And um, that has helped a lot. So I have a question that's related to that. You know, we started this whole conversation with you saying that, you know, exercise to you before you didn't have time and, you know, get, getting quick food for yeah. you know, fast food. for yep. You didn't have time. You're bu you were busy. You're a parent. Yeah. You're still busy. You're still working. You're still a busy parent. And as right. we know, as our kids get older, it doesn't necessarily get easier in terms yep. of time. They need to be driven right. to all sorts of activities. So what do you do now? Like, how do you, and, and obviously you can't fit in everything, but so how have you changed where yeah. you have the same excuses? Right. I do. But you're still. Are you watching less? I could have the same excuses. That's what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, you could have the same excuses. Yeah, but, I could. So for people who are listening, yeah. who say, "Yeah, that's me. Like yeah. I work all day, and then I come home. Right. I have to get something on the table quick. I don't have time to go to the gym. I don't have time to do my strength or get in my run. Right. What's changed for you? Yeah. So um, I'm glad you asked that question because I've, you know, I, I gave some thought to that before coming here because I had a feeling you might ask that. Um, a couple of things have changed. First of all, getting fit and healthy has given me more time in my day in terms of energy. Like, you know, before my heart attack, when I was overweight, I was tired all the time. I was lethargic. I'd sit down, I'd nod off. You know, if I did things around the house, they were just kind of slow and methodical and like, oh, I, you know, I did 15 minutes of this. I'm going to go sit on the couch and watch some TV for a while. And then also nighttime TV. You know, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there are a few people out there listening who maybe are single parents who have two jobs and who really aren't making excuses that they can't find the time. But I think for probably 98% of people listening, you're just making excuses. You're just not what it's it is. You what don't you have do. the time. It's that you're not making the you're, time. You're not prioritizing. you're prioritizing other things. You're not right? prioritizing. Once I prioritized my fitness I, and got healthier and had more energy to go about my day, um, it's like the fitness gave me time back. So and cool. then I found a way, you know, I did things like get up early in the morning, you know, get up at five o'clock in the morning to go for my run. You know, I don't have an excuse. Like I can't run at work. Well, I can run before work. The other thing too is I always have running clothes in my car. I have a bag. I have a bag <laughs> with my snacks and everything I need to run in any season. So no matter where I am, if I haven't gotten a run in that day and I find 30 minutes, I can go get a run in. That's great. And you have a supportive partner. And 
Yes, thank which you is for, huge. Thank you for saying that. Absolutely. Um, because I'm sure she would do anything to support your goals, knowing yeah. what the alternative yeah. was. I and absolutely I, could not do it without her. Yeah, yeah. it's huge. Yeah, because she knows, especially, and even she does it for me, going beyond what I need mm -hmm. for fitness. You know, I don't need to go and run 15 miles on Sunday. She could easily say, like, "Hey, you can get your fitness done in 30 minutes." But she knows how important running mm -hmm. has become to me. And, you know, she'll say, don't worry, I got the kids, you know, it's go great. get your run. And your kids are seeing this example too, yeah. that, you know, that like you, we were talking about before, I think before we start recording though, is that your kids don't know you as anything but a healthy father, which is really, right. I think that's exactly. really remarkable. So I, I love that, that you said that getting healthy gave you time back. Yeah, absolutely did. So, um, you mentioned that you're going to do some shorter things and, um, any big goals, in the future so i would i definitely want to go back to boston once was okay. not enough um you do still have time to qualify i know believe me i thought <laughs> about before it before september not, so. not, not a rush um, and i also i have also for a long time even before i bq'd thought that the boston to, to big sur mm -hmm. combination would be really cool to go run boston on the east coast and then two weeks later go out to the west coast and run big sur. and you've already done kind of a back-to-back -back, so and i've done them two done weeks it. apart <laughs> once so i know i can do that um, yeah. And you know, I, I want to keep, it's funny. Um, I, I have as a 50 year old, I turned 51 this year. Um, I have set all my PRs as a 50 year old, all my 40 year old PRs have all been knocked out. That is so so cool. awesome. So I'm continuing to improve as a runner as, get as, as I get older. So 50 is the new 20 no or 30 or whatever. No there are no excuses. So you know, I want to keep PRing, but I mean, most importantly, I just want to keep being around, you know, for my kids. And that's my, you know, I don't want to be fatalistic, but it certainly doesn't bode super well for me that I had a heart attack at the age of 41. I have to be realistic. I have to say, I already have, you know, arterial sclerosis. I already have heart disease at a young age. I'm doing everything I can do. You know, I feel happy and comfortable that I'm doing everything I can do, you know, to not die of a heart attack you know, anytime soon. If I do, I, I gave it everything I had. Um, I, I would not, you know, I, I won't be here to lament it, but I would not lament it. You know, I would know I did it. I did everything to be here. I for think my your family kid, would for my know kids that and my Your family. family would know that you did everything. And you're having fun. Yeah. I mean, and making this all is, these new friends yeah. and, you know, it's such a, this is something initially that was a goal because you wanted to survive. And right. now your running is who you are and, and part of your life and you're enjoying life. And who would have known that you would have taken something that initially seemed sort of analogous to medicine. And now it's become your joy. Or crazy when you were watching those runners on the yeah. Boston Marathon course thinking, why are they doing that? But now you're one of them and it's, it's major giving you your time back in your life. So. Yeah. Well, thank Absolutely. you so much for joining us today, Rod. Thank you me. are just an, a, an inspiration to us and I'm sure so many others. And we hope that what your story will do um, is perhaps encourage someone out there who feels that they're struggling with their own health, knowing that they can take control and do some things. They don't have to be as extreme as you. No. But <laughs> it doesn't have to happen in six months or a year. No. You know, it took you right. 10 years almost to get to your to get to your goal, but you kept at it and you kept with it good attitude and figuring out what you can do and, and giving yourself the time too in between to say like, it's not the time right now, right. it'll come eventually. So I think that's really something yeah. for lots of people to take away. Thank you. Your kids and your wife are so lucky and uh, we appreciate all of the wisdom you shared with us today. You did a great job. 
So thank you for sharing your story with us. I ran your time way over. That's okay. This was so much fun. I had a great time talking to you. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you.